Good morning, everybody. My name is Kyla Sills. Me and my family have been attending Glad Tidings for almost about two years now. Um, I work up in the sound booth with Keenan and Bella, and I also work with the kids. Would you guys all please stand for the reading? We are reading from Romans chapter 11, verse 30 through 32. For as you were once disobedient to God, yet have now obtained mercy through their disobedience. Even so, these also have now been disobedient, that through the mercy shown to you, they may also obtain mercy. For God has committed them all to disobedience, that he might have mercy on all. Romans 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Luke 15, verses 11 through 24. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of the estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide the wealth between his sons. A few days later, the younger son packed all of his belongings and moved out to a distant land. And there he wasted all of his money in wild living. About the time that his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became became so hungry that even the pods that he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. And when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even though hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home and say to my father, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son embraced him, and kissed him. His son t said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf that we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For the son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Thank you. I love it. We must celebrate with a feast so the party began. That's a good way to end a verse. Uh, we are in the middle of our series on um, Kingdom Builders. And Kingdom Builders is the way at all of our Glad Tidings churches that we support missions, we plant churches, we accomplish projects, and we reach out into our community. And so uh, we've been hearing, like I said, from missionaries. We are looking at the different projects we're praying and believing that God has given us for this coming year and looking at um, even the goal that it's going to take to reach that fund-wise to be able to do that. And so today, we're looking at the second half of this story in the prodigal son. We looked last week at how really what we do is a response to the very love of God. And today we're looking at our responsibility that comes with Let's go to the Father, and um, can I just encourage you this morning, would you pray and say, God, I want you to birth in me a heart to be used for your kingdom. If we're going to be like the prodigal son, not only do we want to be saved and rescued by the Father, we want to go back to being used for the kingdom. And so, so let's pray and invite his presence to speak today. Father, we come before you. Jesus, we are so thankful for all that you do, all that you've done for us. Lord, I pray that your spirit would be moving in our midst in this room today, that you would challenge our hearts, that you would call us to be more like you. God, I pray that every one of us would have a heart that says, God, I want to be used for your kingdom. I want to see your name be made great. I want to see lives changed 
stories altered. And so, Lord, we pray that in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I, right now, I, I want to start this morning by talking about um, redeemed and restored. Redeemed and restored. Our culture, and especially the entertainment industry, is very fascinated with the concept of redemption and restoration. In fact, when you think a lot of the television shows and things that are taking place, they're all centered on this. For instance, uh, whether it's like back in the day, the TV show The Biggest Loser, it's you know the before and after pictures. This is who they were. This is who they are now. Or we do, we we love TV shows that show like houses that were in shambles and falling apart, and someone comes in, they buy it, they completely restore it, they make it look all nice, and then they flip it and they sell it. We're, we're fascinated with these different pictures of like the before and the after. One of my favorite shows, though, in, in regards to that kind of theme, was one that's like a British television show, and it's called Trash to Treasure. Anybody ever seen this show? Raise your hand if you've ever seen it. Okay, there's a few of you. What I love about this show is... They literally go through people's trash, and they're like, hey, can I have your trash <laughs> so that I can turn it into something of immense value? And people are like, you want my trash? Like, I just threw that away in the dump. Like, and they're like, yeah, can we have it? And they're like, it's yours. And they'll take that item, spend time with it, work with it, and turn it into something amazing. My favorite episode the lady arrives at this person's house, and they've got like a dumpster outside, and it's full of stuff because they were doing a home remodel. And she sees this giant cast iron pipe, and she's like, can I have that? And the lady's like, you don't want that. And she's like, no, no, I really want this. Can I please have it? And she's like, that's the pipe for our sewer line. Like, it connects to our toilet. Like, we ripped that out. Like, like that thing is disgusting. It's foul. You don't want it. And the lady's like, can I have it? She's like, you want my sewer pipe? And she's like, Yeah. <laughs> She's like, okay, it's yours. She takes this pipe. She goes home with it. She cuts it in half, starts cleaning it up, starts working on it. And she ended up turning that sewer pipe into an actual outdoor lounge chair that she sold for $3,000. Think about that for a moment. You go from like sewage pipe to lounge chair. That's completely different uses. That's a, that's a process that's like utterly and truly astounding. That's a, a good glimpse of what it means to like for redemption and restoration. My father-in-law, um, for many years, he owned a service master clean business. It's a disaster restoration. And what he specifically did is his company would come in to people's lives and specifically to their homes after the worst day of their home's life. After there was a hurricane, after there was a storm, after there was flood or like a giant fire in the house. And the house was in utter and complete shambles. Like there's smoke up the wall. The carpet's been burnt completely down. And their job was to go into that home. And their goal was to actually make the home look nicer than before it was ever damaged. Their job as a restoration company was to come in and bring order to the chaos and not just fix it up, but to make it even better than it once was before. I love that. The, the, the whole goal of the restoration was to fix it and to clean it. And what I want you to understand is that God isn't just in the saving business. He's in the restoration business. Let me say that again. God isn't just in the saving business. He's in the restoration business. The problem is, is that for a lot of Christianity, 
We know our past, we know our brokenness, and we're very, very happy and thankful for the fact that he saved us, but we're so keenly aware of our brokenness and our sin and what we've done that we're like, God, I feel like you can't use me. God, I feel like you, you saved me, I feel like you rescued me, but I don't really see how you could use me because of that. Please hear me, God isn't just in the business of saving your life, he's in the business of restoring it to be used for his kingdom. God is a good God. You don't just fix up a house. You don't just fix up a building after a flood or a fire just to fix it. It is restored so that it can be used again. Like that's the purpose behind it. It doesn't just sit there as like a bright shining example of, hey, it's no longer fire damaged. It's been restored to be used. And what I want you to understand also is that as the restoration is faithfully used again, its use is proof of the master restorer. Like, for instance, you've never went by a house that was severely damaged and been fixed and been like, man, good job, house. Right? Like, like no one assumes the house fixed itself. At least I hope not. Like, if you do, we need to talk. Okay. Like, no, the, the, the house, once it's fixed, it's proof that somebody else, a master carpenter or remodeler, has come in, and it's proof of their handiwork. Can I tell you something? Listen, your life used for the sake of the kingdom is proof of the glory of God. As you say, God, take my life, every single aspect, every single thing about it, and would you use it for your glory your life used for the kingdom, it heaps glory upon our king. The natural response, what we talked about last week to the very understanding that God's heart is that he loves and he cares about people who are far from him. And his love has been freely poured out to us. The natural response to that is that we should embrace our responsibility. We should embrace the reasonable service that comes with understanding his love. I I want you to to see something. There's something that we often miss from the story of the lost son, and it's our returned responsibility. Uh, Let's go to the next slide. I want you to read with me from Luke chapter 15, verses 20 through 22. It says, he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, he embraced him, and he kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Do you catch that? Like the son had his story ready to go. You ever been in that spot before where you got yourself in trouble, and like you've been playing in what you're going to say for a long time? <laughs> Like the whole way home, he's like, all right, I got to get these words down. I got to say it just right. I got to convince dad to let me come home. Like I blew it big time. And so I've got this whole thing rehearsed in my head. Like the sun's gone over and over and over. And he's in the middle of giving his spiel to his dad and his dad cuts him off. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Now this is somewhat lost to us in our day and time because our culture doesn't necessarily fit, but these three gifts were more than just normal gifts. They were gifts with intentionality and that gifts that had purpose. Three gifts that specifically said something to the son. They were a declaration to him. A robe, 
the finest in the house, a ring for his finger, sandals for his feet. In ancient times, um, servants would not wear sandals. In fact, to wear a sandal, it was a sign that you were both a free person, but also that you had standing in specifically a household. I want you to notice the, the son, he's sitting here and he's like, um, he's got himself into so much trouble. He's got this whole spiel ready to go because he's been eating pig slop. I said this last week, I've never been so hungry that I looked down at my dog's bowl and been like, you know what? Not too bad for lunch. <laughs> at least I hope not. The son is sitting here and he's been stuck in this spot and in this place. He's convinced himself, if I could just go home, in my father's home, the servants get treated better than I am right now. And if I could just convince him to let me come home as a servant, as a slave, my life would be way better than it is right now. And the second he gets to his dad, his dad's like, no, 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 you don't come home as a servant. You don't come home as a slave. You come home as my son. Get him sandals for his feet. No one will confuse. That's my boy. The second thing, let's take a look at it, says the finest robe. Um, this is more than just a fashion statement. <laughs> this isn't like he's like, oh, my, my son, you, you, you're a little stinky, <laughs> though he probably was. I want you to think back to the story of uh, Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat, right? That was more than a fashion statement for Joseph. Whenever his father gave him that robe, it was to signify leadership and authority. The robe that he wore was a distinguishing mark to everyone around him that he carried the weight of his father's responsibility. It's the reason that Joseph's brothers hated him. You see, Joseph was not the firstborn, and yet he wore the robe. The reason he wore the robe is because he was favored in his father's eyes. And so his, his brothers were actually very bitter about it because they're like, we should have the authority. We should have the responsibility. But the young one, he's got it. And so they hated him for that. The robe he wore was a specific sign that he carried his father's leadership and authority. And I want you to notice something, that when the son comes home, the father doesn't just say, get him sandals so he's not a slave. He says, get him the finest robe in the house. In other words, he says, make him look like me. He's returning to his son, the leadership of being in the family. But then he says, get him a ring for his finger. Also in ancient times, the ring was a specific symbol for your family. It would often be used even to sign like legal documents. They would have like wax that would be poured on the paper and you would stamp your ring onto the paper. It was a way of saying, this has been declared by the family. What the father, I want you to catch this, is doing for the son is the father is returning to him responsibility. He is saying to him emphatically, son, you are not coming home as a slave. You are not coming home as me seeing you as just broken and dirty and vile. You are coming home as my son. And I love you. And I'm giving you responsibility. That's so vital and important for us to grab hold of and to understand but our problem is this. I want you to read with me from uh, verses 17 through 19 um, on the next slide. Listen to, again to what the son had to say. He said, when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. Here I am dying of hunger. I'll go home to my father and I'll say, father, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against both heaven and you and I'm no longer worthy of even being called your son Please take me on as a hired servant. 
Can I tell you something? That one of the problems that we have today is that many, if not most, Christians live as if the Father accepted their perception. As if he accepted the deal. Many a Christian lives from the perspective of like, God, I, 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 just, I just want you to save me. I want you to rescue me. But I, I, like, just, just please let me come home. But like, we don't really feel like he can do anything with our lives. God, I, I'm so keenly aware of my brokenness and my past and my sin and, and that thing that I'm most full of shame of. And God, like, I, I just don't feel like you can use me. And our problem is, is we sound a lot like the son where we're coming to the father and we're just like, God, just the fact that you at least call me your son is good enough for me. When the father is looking at you and he's going, son or daughter, I believe in you. I've got great things in store for your life. I have designs for you to be used for my kingdom. I have ways I want you to be be used and to serve for my glory. But our problem is, we feel like that the Father's accepted our perception of ourselves and the deal we were ready to strike. Jesus tells this story Because this forgiveness would be empty without the restored privileges that the son had forfeited because of his sin. He tells these three stories because the Pharisees are looking in and they're looking at Jesus and he's having dinner with notorious sinners. And Jesus tells these three stories as if to say, not only am I going to eat with them, not only am I going to love them, not only am I going to save them, I'm going to redeem them, I'm going to restore them and give them responsibility in my kingdom. How many of you are thankful that he did that for you? Amen? Like he met you at your worst. And he said, I still believe in you. He tells this story to reveal the very depths of his love for us. Someone today, listen to me. You're here and you're looking at your past and you're looking at that sin, and you're looking at that brokenness, and there's part of you that's like, God, I just don't know if you can do anything good with my life. Can you hear this story from Jesus today? He's pleading with you, I can. And some of you, maybe it's not you. Maybe you've seen him do this in your life, but you need to grab hold of this today because there's someone in your life that right now, they feel like they're being defined by their sins. They feel like there's no hope. They feel like, I I really don't know, God, if I could ever be welcomed back into your presence. And it's going to take you and the faith that you have for the truth of the gospel to step into their life and say, God's not done with you. There's someone in your life and mine that needs to hear the message from us, God's not done with you. Might be your son, your daughter your grandson, your granddaughter, your niece, your nephew. Someone who in the midst of their brokenness, they just feel like they're defined by their past and they need to be reminded that King Jesus is an expert in restoring the broken pieces of our past. But it naturally brings to the forefront a question as we think about all of this. And it's what should the son do with what has been given? How he responds, it really does reveal everything about him, doesn't it? How the son in this moment responds to the father's incredible love tells great deals about the very depth of that son's heart and what's really happening there. 
for instance, this could happen. The father's like, bring the robe, bring the ring, bring the sandals. And as soon as the son's, you know, he's putting on the robe, slides the ring on, he gets in the sandals. He could look right at his dad and be like, okay, um, thanks. I'd like half again. I'd like half your stuff again. I, I, I kind of enjoyed my, my previous life. I, I ran out, so could you just give me it all again, and I want to go spend it in, on broken, wild things. He could. And in doing so, the son would reveal he actually had zero love for his father. That he had no concept of what his dad had done. So the question is, what should the son do with what is given? And, and, and I think we all know that the heart of the story is, is that the, the heart of the son should be dad. I'm astounded by your love for me. I've wasted everything that you have given me, my time, my talents, the treasure you've given me. I've wasted on chasing after every broken thing. God, Dad, I, I'm, I'm coming home and I want to live my life now honoring you. I want to live my life pursuing the things that your heart pursues. Like that should be the natural response. What should the son do with what has been given in this moment? That he's now called a son again, that he's given authority. He should be using that authority, using that power for the sake of the kingdom of God. And the same is true with us. If you've been saved, Paul says it this way. He says, should, should we go on sinning so that grace will abound? <laughs> Absolutely not. He says, instead, use your life as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your reasonable form of service. What is your reasonable response? I beseech you, therefore. Speaking of which, I gave you all a challenge last week to use beseech somehow, some way. Did you find a way to do it? Okay. If not, if you've got kids, beseech is a great thing. I beseech you to clean your room. Right? <laughs> I beseech you for the love of everything. Put your shoes away. <laughs> I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, Paul is saying, because of how much God has loved you and rescued you, I plead with you, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God. This is just your reasonable service. What is our reasonable service? What is the reasonable response what does that look like? And the answer is that we would no longer live just for ourselves. That we would live like the son should have lived in recognition of God's love for us. It might mean that, you know what, it's time for you to start serving. Stepping up to the plate and saying, you know what, God, I, I want to invest in your house. I, I want to start serving alongside and, and seeing your glory revealed in the context of the church. Maybe it's your care for someone. Maybe it starts with you saying, God, I, I want to be used to reveal your love and kindness. Maybe it's that person that God's been forever placing on your heart to reach out to, that God now is whispering to your soul, hey, that person needs you to speak. They need you in their life to tell them the truth of who Jesus is. Maybe God's saying it's time for you to start using your talents for the kingdom of God. Every single person in this room, you've got a talent for something. I've got the talent to annoy people. I use it often. <laughs> I always like to say I, I was given the spiritual gift of annoyance. 
What, what has God gifted you with that you can use for the sake of the kingdom? Every single one of us, there is a response that God is saying, I, I want not just part of you, I want all of you. I want your whole life. And the truth is, whether it's serving or caring or talents, but most certainly also with the resources he has given us. The German theologian Karl Barth once wrote, to clasp hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. And in the Kingdom Builders Guide this year, we wrote, I would add to that, to open our hands and to freely give to the work of the kingdom is the natural, necessary, and reasonable response of those who desire to see the world's disorder overcome by God's kingdom. As we recognize the links that God went to rescue and to redeem us, the natural response for us should be to use our lives to make an impact for his glory. I want my life to matter. I've said this often. If my kids choose to walk away from Jesus, I want them to have to trip over my dead body to get there over the way I modeled Christ-like love, over the truth I poured into their lives, over the things that I taught them, the way that I prayed with them, the scripture that I revealed to them. Like if they want to climb to an eternity apart from Jesus, I want them to have to climb over the mountain of evidence that my life left for the truth of who that he is. I want my life to make a kingdom impact for his glory. So that's revealed by my words. It's revealed by how I serve. It's revealed by how I care. But it's also revealed by what I give to. Because in truth, money is a unique way that reveals our heart. It reveals whatever it is that we care about. It displays that. It shows that. It it puts that up there as saying, this is something that I care and I, I really love. And that is important to my life. For instance, if you look at my life, you will see that coffee is an important part of my life. <laughs> it's the juice that's been blessed by God. I mean, <laughs> the truth is, though, kingdom work takes money. And one of the things that we're talking about in this series is that with kingdom builders, our reasonable in service, it, kingdom work takes money. One of our responses to our reasonable service is what we do with the treasure that God has given us. Scripture talks about the tithe. And the tithe was this, um, it, it was really, it, it, the, the word tithe comes from the word tenth. It talks about like 10% of, like, uh, of, our, of what we come in giving it to the Lord. But what it really initially meant was first and best. So in ancient times, whenever you'd have like a farmer out in his field and he would start to see his crop start to grow, one of the first things they would do is they would go out to the crop and the Israelites, they would actually tie string around the first crop that came out of the ground as if to say the first and best is going to be reserved for my king. As a way of saying back to him, thank you, God. Thank you for what you've given. Thank you, and I'm responding in obedience to what you've called. And the, the, the Feast of Pentecost is when they would actually take that first fruits with cheerful glee to the temple and give it to the Lord. So tithing and all throughout scripture is like our normal, reasonable, obedient response to what God has called us to. But also in the Old Testament, you would find they would give over and above the tithe. 
They would give drink offerings and they would give Thanksgiving offerings and, and all these different ones. And what we do today is we give, when we give over and above the tithe, we give to kingdom builders with the goal of saying, God, I want you to use it for your glory both here, near, and far. I want to see the kingdom be impacted here in Blackford County, in Indiana, across America, but also across this world. It's our reasonable response saying, God, I want to be a part of building your kingdom. I want to tell you some statistics real briefly, and I want you to think about this. Don't just let this be a number. I want you to think about this. 213. Turn to the person next to you and say 213. Thank you. <laughs> 213,000 people are unchurched in the eight East Central Indiana counties. 70% of Blackford County, 70, do not go to church anywhere. Those are numbers that should quicken our heart. 213,000 just in this state of Indiana and eight counties that are far from Christ. 70% of the county that we're in does not go to church anywhere. Let me give you another number. 3.3 billion people, that's 42% of the world's population, are unreached. In other words, they have no access to the gospel. No true witness in their community. 3.3 billion. It's a tragedy. I want to read you this quote. Kingdom Builders is the vehicle that allows the church, through the givings of offerings above the tithes, to support the work of God and help expand the reach of the gospel in our community, across the United States, into every corner of the earth. I want to take a moment and just applaud you. Um, last year, you guys, you killed our goal. Like, we far exceeded it. It was awesome. Give yourself a round of applause. Seriously, like, like God in our midst. Um, one of the things that we were praying for, um, I think your pastor had a little bit too little faith last year. <laughs> when we started the year, we prayed and asked that God, um, over the course of this year, that we would see 36 people either accept Jesus or rededicate their lives to him. Sitting today, we're sitting at 44 different people this year alone that have accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior who have rededicated their lives. That's 44 people who have passed from death to life. Amen? Like, that's what it's about. We're praying and believing that lives are going to be changed, stories forever altered as people encounter Jesus. We're seeing entire families coming to know Jesus. God is at work and he is good, he is faithful, he is true. Kingdom Builders is one of the means by which we invest here locally, as in like in Blackford County, here in Hartford City, but also near in the state of Indiana and then also far. I want to show you just briefly um, our goal for this coming year, 2024, and it's $29,500. And the breakdown looks something like this. Also, as you leave the service today, we would highly encourage you to pick up one of these, one per family. It's our 2024 Kingdom Builders Guide. It fully details all the different projects and things that we're trying to accomplish this year and what the funds are going to. But we're looking at $9,766 to missionary support, 
3,334 to planning churches, 4,810 to outreach, and 11,590 to projects. But let me break that down a little bit because it's not about the number. It's about the name. The goal is to embrace our responsibility and to make a kingdom impact both here, near, and far. Let's look at here. That number, whenever you look at some of the outreach, 4,810, that goes to helping support and run our Vacation Bible School. This year at Vacation Bible School, we saw 36 children raise their hands to accept Jesus as the Lord and Savior. Seriously. As they got to hear the message of the good news of Jesus Christ, hear the truth of who he was, that was able to take place because of the giving of kingdom builders. Um, one of the things that you just even heard about today, Levi Grooms, we support him every single month in the work that he is doing through campus life here in Blackford County because we believe that students need to hear the message of Jesus Christ. The stats tell us that of those who are teenagers that are in the church, by the time they graduate high school, 80% of them are going to walk away from the faith. We've got to have systems in place. We've got to have people in their lives. He, you know, he talked about getting into students' lives, meeting with them one-on-one, -on -one, engaging in discipleship, living life with them. That is so important that that takes place and that happens. Along with that, in our project goal, one of them is to um, put in an air conditioning unit here in Lake Placid at the uh, campground here in Blackford County. I love Lake Placid. Lake Placid is the place that I got called into ministry. I can take you to the spot of carpet where I was sitting at a church camp as the speaker spoke, and I knew that I knew that God called me to ministry. I can take you to the place at the altar where I laid down, face down on the ground, and I said, God, I give you my life. Take it and use it for your kingdom. I can take you to the spot at that very campground where me and a couple other youth workers where we buried a razor blade in the ground from a girl who had been cutting herself. And she came to faith and she said, God, I want to trust you with my life and trust you with my future and trust you with my pain. And so she came up to the altar, handed us the blade she'd always used and said, I want to bury it here as a sign of what Christ has done. Right? And how many of you know that air conditioning is an important thing? Let me prove this to you. Have you ever been around a group of junior high boys when there was no air conditioning. It does not take long for you to understand the need for it, <laughs> right? We're impacting here. We're impacting near. Uh, we're looking to support multiple different uh, Chi Alpha missionaries. Chi Alpha is a program where they stick a missionary on college campuses so that as kids go off to college, that there's a missionary that's on their campus that's able to connect them to the local church and walk with them as they continue to grow in their faith so we don't see that dropout afterwards. And then far. Right now we currently support seven different missionaries across the globe we're looking to add two more this year that are heading to the nations. Along with this support, we're looking to help a church plant that's taking place in Serbia. Um, we're also going to do once again our One Day to Feed the World offering. Last year, this church gave over $3,000 to the One Day to Feed the World offering, where every single day, Convoy of Hope is feeding hundreds of thousands of kids across the, the globe, and they're responding as natural disasters take place. But along with that, we're going to provide food relief in Cuba. This past year, we actually gave um, P 
pews to churches in Cuba, there's a huge move of God that's taking place. How many of you are glad that you get to sit through the sermon? Can you imagine trying to stand every single week through a pastor preaching? That would be awful. In Cuba, it happens all the time. They don't have any resources to buy the pews. And so literally, the pastor stands up to preach, and the entire service, the congregation stands. This past year, we were able to purchase 50 different pews for Cuba. This year, we're going to be purchasing food supplies because natural disasters have swept through that region, and they're desperately in need of help. We're praying and believing that God's going to do some incredible things. And listen, as you give to kingdom builders, you help build the kingdom of God here at church, in Hartford City, in Blackford County, throughout all of East Central Indiana, and also across the world. This church is here today because of the faithful giving of kingdom builders. As people who said, I want to see Blackford County, I want to see a life-giving church that is placed there, and we are recipients of that. Would you stand with me this morning? I want to ask you this morning to just start praying about your response. Next week, we bring this series to a close. Um, one of the ways that we're going to do that is we're going to pass out uh, refrigerator magnets and uh, Sharpies. And we're just going to ask you to take these home and to pray and ask God, Lord, what does my response look like? What's something that I can do um, to be a part of being a kingdom builder in and around this area? And I want you to start praying now because here's the thing. God loves a cheerful giver. He does not love a begrudging giver. Amen? Seriously, he is, he is anti that. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And what he's doing is he's inviting us into the process. So I don't want anyone ever in this church to ever feel like that they are being coerced or anything. I want you to give from a place of joy and saying, God, I want to be a part of what it is you're doing. So I want you to just start praying now. God, for this next year, what can I do? Listen, some of you, you, you have the ability to give quite a bit towards the kingdom. And some of you, finances are tight. Things are happening in your life. Totally understand that. But maybe it's just $5 right? Can I tell you something? Listen to me. Um, my kids every single week give to BGMC. Um, they find unique ways to do that. My daughter last year, uh, she actually ended up giving $600 to Convoy of Hope where she made Christmas bracelets um, all last Christmas and we sold them and she gave every single penny. And she, I think she ended up buying like three different sheep, a bunch of different chickens and stuff like that for people who are in need all across the world. The truth is, is we can all do something. The question is, is what is God laying on your heart for you to do? What is he placing on your heart to say, God, I, I want to be a part of responding to the love that you've given me, the grace you have bestowed on me, the mercy you have. How can I continue? And maybe, maybe honestly, for some of you, your first step is just to start tithing. I get, can I plead with you? Don't give to kingdom builders if you haven't started tithing. One is obedience and one is thanksgiving. The Bible is clear that we need to obey in regards to tithing, but then kingdom builders is the over and above saying, God, I want, I want my heart to just continue to reveal who your love is. Some of you, maybe your first step too is to start serving. We've got two services. There is on average over 50 different people it takes serving to make a Sunday happen. You are needed. We have 
about 50 different people that serve in some capacity just on a Sunday. That doesn't include our senior safety net that we've got a whole team of volunteers that help out with that. That doesn't include our different small groups. That's just on a Sunday morning. Serving is a great way to start getting involved and saying, God, use me. Use my time. Use my talents. Use my life. Maybe it's care. Maybe there's someone in your life right now that God is saying he's put them on your heart and you need to maybe write them an encouraging note. You need to speak out to them and remind them that they're loved. Remind them that God's got good things in store for their life. What is it for you? What is it for me? What is God calling us to do? What does our reasonable service look like? Again, not of all of us can do everything. I remember I had a conversation with my son, Jason, because he's like, Dad, I've got no job. <laughs> Other than your money, I don't know how I can give to kingdom builders. And he's like, and then when I do get money, God, like, I, I feel like, it, it, I, Dad, I feel like it's not that much. Like, what kind of a difference can it make? And I wanted to look at him and say, son, every time you give in faithfulness and obedience, it makes a difference. And I reminded him of the story of the little boy with just his lunchable lunch, his loaves and fishes. And in the hands of Jesus, he took what seemed so small and insignificant and he fed 5,000. Church, may we be people who say, God, you have access to my whole life. So every part that I am may be used for your kingdom. Right where you're at, would you just bow your heads and close your eyes? We're gonna bring the lights down. I don't want to miss this opportunity right now. This is a moment between you and God. And I believe that God brought some of you here today, not by accident. You are here on purpose. And the enemy has been working you over. The voice and the sound of your life sounds a lot like the prodigal son. There's part of you that's looking at the king and you're going, God, I want to be used by you, but I don't even feel like I'm worthy enough to be called your servant. God, I look at my sin, I look at my past, I look at my shame, and I look at my brokenness, and I I just don't even see how you could use or do anything good through my life. And can I plead with you, hear the voice of a loving father today who beckons you to come home and says, my son, my daughter, I love you. I love you. And I don't have plans just to save you. I have plans to use you powerfully for my glory. So if you're here today, again, this is you and Jesus moment. I'm not gonna ask you to come forward. I'm not gonna ask you to do anything like that. But I wanna be able to pray with you this week. And if you're here and you're saying, you know what, Pastor Josh, I I need to surrender my life to Jesus, to trust him. I need to him to call me his son and daughter, and I need to be reminded that he's not done with me, that he can turn something beautiful, even out of the mess that I've made, with no one looking around. If that's you today, would you just slip a hand in there and say, Pastor Josh, you know what? That's me. Thank you. Secondly, maybe you're here today and you've made that decision, but the enemy has just been beating you up. And you feel like, you know what, I just, it's hard for me to see that he could use my life. And I need to be reminded today that my king has good things in store for me with no one looking around. If that's you, would you raise your hand in the air? Anybody at all? Thank you. Thank you. 
Let me pray for you. Father, we come before you. Lord, your word is living, it's true, it's good. And you say that we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just, not only to cleanse us of our sins, not only to forgive us, but to cleanse us of every single bit of unrighteousness. God, your word says that your love for us, it's greater, it's wider, it's stronger, it's better than we could possibly imagine. And I pray for every person that walked in here today that's far from you. God, would you bring them home if their heart's yearning for you? Remind them that you call them your son or daughter and that you believe in them. And God, for those who just feel like the enemy has been working them over, that Jesus this morning, they would hear the voice of heaven saying, I love you, I believe in you, and I've got great things in store for your future. And that they would believe the voice of heaven over the voice of the enemy. But God, for each and every one of us as well, your sons and daughters that you have rescued ransomed, redeemed, and restored. God, may we live lives of reasonable service. I pray that you would speak to our hearts, God, about this coming year. What can we do to be a part of seeing your kingdom expand both here locally, near in our state, and in our country and across the world? That we would be people who are part of building your kingdom in the mighty and most holy name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to close with this song. But here's what I want you to do as you're listening and singing this song. One of the things I love about this song is it's scripture. It's being reminded that God is near, that he's for us and how great his love is. I want you to do two things. I want you to give God praise for the love he's shown you. But secondly, I want you to have someone on your mind. who in your life right now is God putting on your heart to say it's time for love to be coming out of you into their life that they would see the truth of who God is who in your life is God going to say I want to use you for the sake of his kingdom and as we sing this let it be more than a song let it be a prayer to the king today can we do that Red, will you lead us